Hello and welcome to the Goals Allowed podcast. It's uh, it's our first show since the season started. We've got three games in, so I'm sure there's plenty to talk about and lots of our own predictions to laugh at. I'm joined today by Richard Hudson. Good evening. And Shane Lees. Howdy. Howdy. How are you guys both doing? I'm good and so are our American <laughs> listeners. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Many of them. <laughs> no um, idea. But yeah, we do have quite an international fan base. Uh, I'll start by saying that uh, I predicted Fulham to be my surprise of the season. Um, I thought they'd do well and be like a, you know, sort of a top of the bottom half, like a 12th or something, I said. Um, I now think they're going to get relegated and they're, they're odds on to do that. Um, well, well, I mentioned uh, before the chat uh, amongst everyone that apparently already one bookmaker has paid out on them to go down, which is just mental. Mm. They are terrible, though. I mean, <laughs> you look at you look at that team and you compare them to every other club, and you think, yeah, they'll lose that. There's not a single game you look at and go, oh, that's winnable. There's, oh, that's going to be a tough one. <laughs> every game is losable for them. I I wouldn't be surprised. I know it's early. I know this is harsh. Wouldn't be surprised to see Derby's record go. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. The thing is, though, you look at like Norwich last year, and at least they started the season really well and surprised. Like they beat City, and they, they, they. I think they got fifteen points or so by the by November, you know, start of November, and they they started the season really strongly. Whereas Fulham have been atrocious, and they've now sort of the opportunity when you're a bit of an unknown quantity. Um, I, I think the thing about Norwich, and it's the thing, Norwich. So, so if you look at the two teams, Norwich and Fulham, there's comparisons. So both play attacking football. Neither team has any capable defenders. They're championship quality defenders, or they're like young players, or that kind of thing. They both oh, got proven goal scorers. Some capable defenders. Like one of them has been linked with Barcelona and Bayern Munich in the last few days. Yeah, but he was a he was a young player. It was his first season in the Premier League. You know, you can you can kind of you, they're not the ex- experienced proven defenders. But yeah, proven goal scorers. But the thing Norwich had that Fulham don't have is goal creators. I think that's the really biggest thing. Like the closest thing Fulham have got to a goal creator is Tom Kearney. And he's, he's a good player, but he's not, he's, he's a bit more industrious. He's a bit more of a workman. Um, I just think they've got Mitrovic and that's great. And they've got, what's his name? Um, their, their left back, uh, Brian. Matt, yeah, Brian. Good players. Beyond that, in the rest of that team, they've got a They've got a lot of championship players and players who can do well in the championship and no more than that. And remember, they scraped through to the Premier League. They mm. didn't go through a canter. What we're going to see, as harsh as it is, is a championship club go back to the championship. Mm. Fair enough. They, they did amazingly well to go up, considering, but so it's, what's the difference? it's too early. What's the difference between Fulham then and um, Chef United last season? Because that was sort of my... Um... Barometer, if you like. I thought the fact they'd not brought in many players and stuck with a squad that that got them up would be to their benefit. You know, unlike a couple of years ago when they brought ten, fifteen players in, a lot. I think only one had Premier League experience, and that was Schurler. Um But yeah, obviously they've done a completely different tack, and it's not worked. Well, after uh, three games, is the big caveat with this because for, for me, I would say that Sheffield United are the anomaly, and this is the norm. You know, look, look at Sheffield United at the start of this season, and they're in the relegation battle already. Ooh. But, but what Sheffield United did last season is not really the the norm of a, a Championship club coming up. Usually, you get two 
at least of the championship clubs probably going back down again. So, so as it stands at the minute, you've got Burnley, Sheffield United and Fulham are the three sides in the relegation zone. The, the only sides to have lost all their games. Burnley only playing two. But um, Fulham and West Brom are odds on. But then after that, Burnley, Sheffield United are sort of the favourites to go down. And I, I'm pretty sure they'll stay up, the pair of them. I, I think, I know it's only it's three games and I, I just can't see them going down. They've got too much uh, sort of grit in them. And uh, do, do, do you guys see them? going down or do you think they'll no I don't and I'll I tell you what I agree with what Richard said about last year being an anomaly you know in a in a normal year Sheffield United finished maybe 14th um, they did really really well what they did worked really really well the big difference between clubs like Sheffield United and Burnley is I'd say it's three things one is they've actually got capable defenders they can defend well and they've got people who defend all throughout the pitch their strikers defend their midfielders defend their defenders defend everyone defends Two really good team ethic around them. So you might say, oh, you know, Burnley are an absolute shithouse club, and you would be right. But they're all shithouse players. So they're all doing it. You know, they're all doing it together, which is, I think, one of the big things. And the last thing you mentioned was sort of like the grit. Yeah, I think that's what you need if you're going to be one of those clubs with worse squads to stay in the Premier League. Everyone has to do 100% of their job 100% of the game. Everyone has to work as hard as they possibly can. And those clubs have that. And that will keep you safe for a pretty good amount of time. Mm. What the comparison with some a team like Fulham is? You look in that midfield; there aren't that many players working hard. They don't defend in midfield. They don't defend up front. There's a lot of players who's walking about. You know, they, and it's, it's like them bringing in Mario Lamina from us. It's like this is a player who doesn't want to work. He mm. just wants to do some of. He wants to do the Pogba stuff without actually ever putting in the work. Um, that will sink any club. It doesn't really matter who you are. That sort of stuff almost sunk Southampton. We're perfectly good players. That lack of work rate sinks clubs. Burnley and Sheffield, I do believe they'll be just fine this year. I don't believe they're going to get dragged to it. I, I've, I've seen Sheffield United's performances. Goals is what they're missing, but they've been unlucky. They've played better than where they are currently in the league. Fulham have played worse than where they are in the league. They should be about 12th in the championship right now. That's, that, I think, is a fair What I'd say, though, with Sheffield United is that you know, since COVID and that, that very first game where they clearly didn't deserve to lose, uh, well, yeah, they, uh, they lost. They threw, they threw, they threw. Draw. Oh, it was a draw. And yeah. they should have won. Yeah. Uh, but then that sort of snowballed since then. And they've just, the, the luck has gone against them ever since. And teams can get stuck in a rut. Uh, and yeah, once the confidence goes, and they, they feel that Lady Luck is against them, it they just their heads come out defeated before they even start a game. Yeah, so I do I, agree I think, that can be a big problem. I, I think they need to turn it around. They need to get a good result soon. Do you think part of it is the lack of fans in the stadium, though? I mean, Burnley, Sheffield United, Burnley particularly is like the tough place to go, and all that, and teams. You know, go there expecting a fight, and maybe it's not the same because they've not got that big atmosphere. Yeah, well, they, they go there expecting uh, banners to be flown over the stadium. <laughs> sort of, so. I do think it's a good general rule that the smaller the club, the more important the fans are, and you can apply that to anything from the financials to anything. The, a lot of you, you so if you listen to the Peter Crouch podcast and things like that, and they talk about how the hostile environments really do get to them. These players, you think, oh, they're players and they're bulletproof and they've got ice in their veins. None of this is ever going to get to them. It does get to them. Clubs like that do well because they've got sort of all those things going for them. And a, 
again, the reason I think clubs like that are going to be just fine is that ultimately those players are all still playing for the managers. The, they are the managers' teams. It's like even as bad a season as Atletico Madrid might have, those players are still playing for Simeone. It's the same kind of thing with Chris Wilder and Sean Dyche. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a team go down where everyone was trying 100% their hardest, was basically quite defensive, and was still playing for the managers. I don't think I've ever seen a team go down doing that. And I, I don't know if anyone can think of any examples. I don't think there's going to be an exception to the rule here. Uh, two others, uh, well, the two people who aren't on the podcast, well, one obviously uh, never is on the podcast, is my son Noah, but him and uh, Nick both did put down Burnley to, to get relegated. Nah, I mean, to put it this way, Nick's a Brighton fan. I'd have more money on Brighton going down. They, they flatter. Mm. Oh, I, I, I'm very much liking Brighton so far this season. They were brilliant. I think they could be the surprise package. Oh, but oh, I'd, I'd hate that. <laughs> I, would, I would despise that. Don't get me wrong. We're not going to be the surprise package, but I would. I, don't, I, think, I think they've had the, um, the surprise player so far this season. Who's that? Uh, Lamptey. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a fair one. Who's, who's already getting uh, links today now with Bayern Munich? Hmm. Do you know who I think is going to be this year's Norwich? As in, try really hard, impress, actually play quite well, but unfortunately go down. West Brom. West Brom. Yeah. I you know what, I've watched all. I think I've watched all of the West Brom games so far. I've really enjoyed watching West Brom. They play some really good stuff actually, and some of those players are good. I mean, mm. well, I'm, I'm, I had him as my fantasy football sort of wild card. Grady Diangana. There we go. He looks quality. He looks excellent. Um, and they've got that fellow, what's his name, Mateus Pereira. Again, Pereira's a great player. Looks exceptional. I think that I, if they get some luck going their way, of all the sort of teams you go, yeah, they're nailed on to go down. They're the only ones I think could pull themselves out of it just by some sheer freak results from those attacking players. Mm. Um, looking at teams like like Aston Villa have won the first two. Um, Crystal Palace, I thought they'd stay up, but uh, others think they'll go down. Um, and teams like that who've had positive starts, can you see them getting dragged? Do Do you think that they're sort of I don't know how to phrase this. They've started well and all be fine, or can you see them getting dragged back down? Villa, Villa made one really. I'm gonna start on my, on the Palace one. Um, yeah, I'm pretty happy to admit I've probably got that one wrong. Um, I, I kind of just wanted Palace to go down, if I'm being completely honest. I, I just didn't get what they did as a club. Um, the one thing about them is they are def- they're defensively good. They keep clean sheets. They don't concede too many stupid goals. That'll always do you quite well. Admittedly, they are far too dependent on the brilliant, individual brilliance of their forwards. Uh, if they go on a real run of like 10 games where that's not working out for them, could always get dragged into it, but I have a feeling they're going to be safe now. Well, and I, Aston Villa, I, I still think they're going down. Wow. When Palace one of the lowest scorers last season. Yeah. Which is why it's, um, it's proof you can't rely on it constantly. What What I would say uh, at the moment is like we're, we're three games in uh, for City, United, and a couple more. Only two games in. It, at the moment, it's just such a. It's hard to judge anything of, of the season, apart from. Liverpool are going to win the league, <laughs> as it looks. The the rest of it, it's like we've had so many already freak results. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to City the other night? Guardiola in his entire career has never conceded five goals in a game, and so, that, that happened. What? I'm not happened? sure about Liverpool winning the league. 
Who's looking at what? Who's going to challenge them, Everton or Leicester? No, 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 no. no, no. Uh, but here's here's the thing: is I think already from what I've seen of Liverpool so far, they're worse than last year. I, I think they look defensively vulnerable, and that is really what absolutely smashed them the title was the sheer amount of clean sheets they kept. It wasn't the goals; Man City steamrolled them for goals. It was the clean sheets. And the thing about it is, is if you're defensively vulnerable, consistent form is pretty damn difficult. Now, the only other thing against that is the only team I think who can really compete this year is Man City. They are defensively vulnerable, which is why I think it's far from a fo- like a foregone conclusion. I don't like either of their defences at the moment. And you might say, oh, yeah, Liverpool can turn around and put it together. But then City have got a lot of injuries at the moment. If they get players playing in the right positions, they've actually got quite a good defence. So they've, st- they've still basically got the defence that won them a title last time. So I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion yet. Um, I think Liverpool... They've won three out of three. They probably deserved three out of three, but that could easily have only been one win. Arsenal, they were vulnerable as hell against them. They weren't actually that good. Anyone who watched the game can confirm that. And against Leeds. <sighs> oh, that, that was a poor performance where, again, they got away with it because of some individual brilliance from their attacking players. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I think it's, I still think it's going to be a lot closer this year. I think I'm going to have been wrong about three things, definitely. Chelsea are not going to be as good as I thought they are. Um, I, I think that's just going to take a bit of time for that all to bed in. Um, Newcastle are not going to be the surprise package. <laughs> and I don't think Man United are going to be anywhere near as good as I thought. In fact, I think by the end of this year, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer won't. Well, I think a big part of that will be uh, on who United, if they manage to get who they want in over the next few days. And uh, just before we came online for this, it was uh, it's broke that they have have bid. 100 million for Sancho, and it's been rejected. But Sancho, <laughs> but Sancho did not travel with the, the Dortmund squad uh, for their, their version of the Community Shield on the plane today, citing that he's, uh, he's got a respiratory illness, not COVID. Uh, it just seemed odd, though, that he suddenly not travelled on the same day that United have put a bid in. Well, it's 120. It's thought that United have... Uh, that Barcelona are now uh, offered Dembele to United for about 40 to 50 million. See, I like the idea of Dembele. Uh, there, there was some talk about him coming maybe on a season-long loan with an option to buy at the end. Like, that would be terrific if that's if that's a doable deal. I think he's, an, he's a, he was excellent at Dortmund for a mixture of injuries and just... Barcelona's had, had its own issues, you know, wider than Dembele. And I... I I think for 40, 50 million, he's, he's worth the punt. Um, yeah, the, the big problem is that I think since in the last two or three years, he's had something like five or six hamstring injuries. Yeah. Which, as a winger, is a big concern. Yeah. I, t- I tell you, what, I've seen that you guys are going for Alex Tellez, and I think I've, I said it earlier in a previous podcast, Man United you know, get a left back in. That looks like a pretty decent signing, if, especially if it's for only like 20 million because his contract's up at the end of next year. That's a pretty good signing, I'd say. Oh, United have offered 12 million. Um, Porto wants 18. And it's meant to be that we're probably getting to about 15. Oh, Woodward Ball. Um, no, but, uh, <laughs> the one thing I will say, though, is that you guys, you're, you're trying to solve your, prob- your goal scoring problem with another winger. I, th- I honestly think if you look at that Man United team, the midfield is good now, right? I, I think that midfield's fine. You don't really need anything else there. 
Wingers, yeah, you could do with another option rather than, say, Greenwood, but I think you fundamentally have the problem of Anthony Martial is... He doesn't really play any position anymore. I don't think he's a striker, and I don't really think he's a winger. I, I, I almost... I, 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 I wouldn't know where you play Martial. And Marcus Rashford seems to not be able to buy an, a, a goal. I know he scored recently, but he's... he's Did he not, not see his goal the other day? Yeah, I know. I saw his goal, and it was a fine goal, but... Come on, he's not looking like a goal scorer. You know what I mean by a goal scorer? Think Rude van Nistelrooy. You need a fucking goal scorer. And that's, not, that's what you don't have. And I don't think by adding, another, by adding another winger, you just add more of what you've already got, more of playing how you currently play. I don't think that produces you more goals. That's the other big news this evening, is that uh, Wynn talks with Cavani on a free transfer. On, on now, transfer. That, it, it might very well be a Falcao-style deal. <laughs> well, you go mental about it and it's trash. But that is a good signing. I would agree 100%. If they get a player like that, that's a good signing. That's a Van Nistelrooy. That's what they need. You see, I disagree. I think with um, Martial, I think he really develops, especially the second half. After lockdown, I thought he was fantastic for us. And I think he is developing into that striker. Um, the weird thing is, though, is I think I think Rashford as well... Um, I'd like to see us play a proper 4-4-2, whether it's a diamond or a flat midfield, and have those two up front, because I think they suit being up front, but having the option to drift, almost like um, you know, like a Vardy or a, or a Bamiyang almost, where you drift wide and look for the pockets of space. I know they're not Harry Kane, Van Nistelrooy, Cavani, whatever, but I do think, I do think Martial in particular is, is really picking it up, and I think, I, I just think we need another attacking option, whether it's a winger, a striker, whatever. I still um, think Martial's too I much of a player. I think Cavani's a great option. I think it it adds something very different to United Strike Force. Um, a diamond formation it it suits United's midfield better because it allows the trio of Pogba, Fernandez, uh, and Van der Beek to mm. all play. Which at the moment it only ever looks like you could play two of the three. But uh, I don't think United have got the fullbacks to play a diamond formation at the mm-hmm. moment. That Tellez coming in would complement it, but Bissaka um, is too defences, defensive as a fullback to, to play that formation. And since COVID, he's been one of the worst players on the team, which is saddens me to say, because I think he's an absolutely fantastic fullback, but he just, he hasn't looked good mm-hmm. in, the, in the last few games. I have to say, I, I do think, I, I don't know what formation they could do and make it work for the entire team, but I do think two strikers is what United need, because I look at their four, their, their three forward players currently, you know, Rashford on the left, Martial in the middle, and Greenwood is generally on the right at the moment, and I think that's three players who all want to be strikers. I, I do not understand, and it's mostly a Premier League thing, this obsession of putting strikers on the wing. Play strikers as strikers. That's what, they're goal scorers, they're not dribblers and runners and crosses when they're out there they spend too much time out there and not enough in the middle and my god have we seen how often sorry does Marcus Rashford think he's ever fooling anyone when he cuts inside onto his right foot does he ever think that the defender thinks oh he's definitely going to go on his left here it's, it's like and, and I'm not no it's not to like slate Rashford that's every wide player it's the Andrus Townsend syndrome he's wanting to take it on his left foot just kick him in the head or something that's all he's ever going to do is take it onto his left foot so Play forwards as forwards. I, I, I just think the, the winger problem that United have 
is that you don't have any actual wingers. You're not playing wingers as wingers. And by signing another winger, you then force one of those strikers to permanently be a winger. And I almost feel like that's more of a problem. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's just, for me, the, the way that Man United are currently doing it, I just don't think it's the best use of the players. I think, weirdly, United have not far away from a potential title winning team. A bit of development in there, but that's not far away from a title winning team just playing it the right way. We saw what Conte did with the likes of Chelsea getting a team that's previously not very good, and then you turn it just by the way you're playing into a title winning team. United are close to that. They're just, I just don't think they're doing it the right way. I think the big thing that, for me, that United need is a, a left-sided centre-back. <laughs> because, <laughs> because that pairing um, at the moment is just wrong. It doesn't <laughs> I think we've got a, prob- a real problem there, because for me, Lindelof is better than Maguire. Or he has been in the United shirt anyway, um, in, in my humble opinion. But I think the problem we've got is obviously we can't drop Maguire because we've spent so much money. If it were me, I'd play Lindelof on a, a new quick centre-back because I don't think... I know he's, he makes his mistakes, but I, I just think he makes fewer than Maguire. Yeah, I think Bailly needs to run in the team. Bailly always has one mistake in him a game. Uh, but he's a damn sight quicker than the pair of the statues that we've got at the moment. The other one... The problem is, is if you sign another centre-back, I'm willing to bet you sign a development centre-back. Like a player who's really good, going to get better. He's like 23 years old and he's, he's fine and all of that. But he's not quite there yet. And It'll be up for can, can United just sign an actual good player who's already good and they don't need to spend three years working on him and then eventually selling him because it didn't work out? No. <laughs> <laughs> just... just. Just one more, one more sort of idea is um, there was some talk about Luke Shaw maybe moving to centre off this season. I, I, I think that could work in a back three, you know, Luke Shaw, maybe Maguire in the middle, and then it's worked in the big games for uh, for United against um, against you know Liverpool City last year. Liverpool, we were unlucky in that game. Uh, whether, whether that's another idea, but then obviously where do you put in front of that five three two? Maybe I, I don't know. I think Luke Shaw is is one that. It's probably the, the most Marmite uh, of United players for reactions because you get some people that will never put any blame on him whatsoever. And I think he's had quite a bit of blame on some of the United goals of late. Uh, and then others to just think, get him out of the club. Um, I'm leaning towards the latter of late. I, I think he, he reached the glass ceiling. He's, he's never looked fit. Since his injury, I think there's a lot better left backs. He's not a left back that is going to win United a title. Luke Shaw is not. He does not have enough of a footballing brain to play centre back either. He's he's fine as a backup option. He was really good for us at Southampton, but he's kind of coasted off of that good year he had at Southampton for a pretty long time now. He's never really done it in United shirt. He'd be if he came back to Southampton, he'd do a fine job. If he went to another club like Southampton, if he went to a West Ham or a Brighton, he'd be fine because you can make those mistakes and nobody really cares because, well, you were probably losing those games anyway. I, you can't get away with that at United. You, probably, you play him at centre-back or just watch. You'd think to yourself, oh, he's a left-back. He must be quick. But just watch the amount of people who are getting behind him. You'd be fucking horrified. <laughs> Would any of the other top six clubs take Luke Shaw as their left-back? Maybe Arsenal, just because they don't have great options there. But I, I, I think they'd play Saka over him. Spurs, Mourinho and Shaw got on well, didn't they? And I, he wouldn't, got back. 
He wouldn't get into Everton or Wolves' teams, I don't think. <laughs> That's what I mean. He's, he's not going to win a title. I'm not sure he'd get in ahead, ahead of Taylor at Burnley. That's <laughs> 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 being harsh. Yeah, I think it's we'll be the better than He's actually been really good for Burnley, to be fair. I, I, I hope that wasn't a, a dig at Charlie Taylor, because he's... No, no, Charlie, did this is what I mean. I mean, if you look at, like, England left-backs and where you had ranked them, I ranked Charlie Taylor ahead of him. Yeah. He's, he's, like, fifth. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, I want to move away from United, talk about City, especially their defence after after conceding five. They've signed Ruben Diaz um, from the Portuguese League, 65 million. Otamendi's going the other way. Um... You know they've got players like Stones, like Otamendi. They need to they, they need to move away from. But um, you know Nathan Aki's made a positive start. Do you, do you see a decent defence there for City, or do you think they still need to work on it? I don't think that defence is as bad as people think it is. Leicester, you've got to remember Jamie Vardy can do a job on anyone. Jamie Vardy is Jamie Vardy. He's one of the best strikers in the Premier League, and I'd say he's arguably one of the most clinical finishers in Premier League history. He had like. 15 touches to score a hat-trick. Man City, that, that defence is just very piecemeal at the moment because they never seem to have everyone fit all at once. But I, I do genuinely think, and you know, ignore Ruben Diaz for a minute, that is still a defence that can win titles. It's, it's not the best defence in the world, but don't forget that Man City do not play defensive football. They play to get hit on the counter. They're not, you don't expect Man City to keep a clean sheet even when they're winning because they're going to get hit on the break at some point. They're playing so far up. It's the tactics that mess that defence up and the lack of consistency of defenders. I think the defenders themselves are good enough. I just I just don't think they play together enough that routinely. Left back is the only thing where I'd say, yeah, they really do need someone who's actually a lot better there. Mendy, is, Mendy wouldn't get in past Lucas Dean at Everton. He's not that good. I wouldn't swap that would be a re- yeah, that's a really good point as well, Richard, is I do think they lack an actual leader at centre back. The closest we get to it is Laporte, but he's he's just not fit enough. Um if if he if they keep Laporte fit for most of the season, that defence will be the second or third best defence in the league. And we're talking about it as like it's trash. It's like that's, that's ridiculous. Probably how much has he spent on the defence since he's been there? Is it just More than most Two hundred million. Most third world countries have spent on their def- entire defence. I think I saw it was about four hundred and sixty million. They've made a lot of trash signings in their defence. But like, like I said, it's the result of that is they still do have a title winning defence if they play defensively. But you, you look at the midfielders in front of them. You go like Rodri and Fernandinho. They're defensive midfielders, but they don't play like defensive midfielders. They play forward. They're passing midfielders. It's the reason Man City suck defensively is because they don't play defensively. I think that's as simple as you can look at it. So they'll always concede goals. But at the end of the day, that if you if you got like one of some of the best defenses in the league and got them to play like City, they would still concede just about as many goals. I think. So I, I think Man City get a harder go. But what I will say as a little bit of a counter to that is, if Man City do not win a title this year, Guardiola has to go. I was just about to say that point. Hmm. Yeah, I'll let you expand on it then. <laughs> well, it's, well, you just look back at City in any other season when they haven't won the title on, in, uh, under the, these owners, the manager's gone. It's the same as Chelsea. They they have to be producing t- uh, trophies, or, or the, they they're gone. And not not to the same degree, perhaps as Chelsea. I know that Lampard uh, has probably got a bit of grace there, but uh, Chelsea. 
you had people that won the, the Champions League and were gone three months later. Mm. I, I do take your points. I think what's interesting is, is as I think Shane alluded to before, uh, City have had a fair few injuries and a couple of COVID cases, um, whereas Liverpool have pretty much played the first team. Um, what I do, uh, I've noticed just before we came on that Thiago uh, Alcantara has got uh, COVID, so he's going to be out for a bit. Uh, you do wonder if they get a couple of injuries or something. Their squad, while they have strengthened it a bit, isn't as strong as their City or even Chelsea, I'd say, if you're looking at you know 20, 25 players. And I think with with that, you know, teams going to get COVID cases throughout the season, and, and squad depth is going to be more. And and with the sheer number of games, squad depth is going to be more important than ever before I think and I, I think that might I, I still think Liverpool will win the league but I, I think it's wrong to discount City and Chelsea because they have stronger squad you know 20 odd players and I do think that they will run them very close uh, I'll say one thing about Liverpool Mane should have been sent off in about the third minute oh the elbow <laughs> in the face oh yeah there that, have been some weird things that. that haven't gone to VAR <laughs> if, if that yeah. was like a David Lovey the likes of Fellaini That'd have been off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, I agree. If that was, yeah. Um, what do you guys make of the handball rule? Um, six six penalties already, and uh, there were nineteen given for handball in the whole of last season. Very controversial opinion here. I like it. I, I agree with it actually. <laughs> I, do you know what I like about the new handball rule? Is it is pretty much absolutely consistent. I hated it last year. I hated that it treated attacking movements different to defensive movements. Basically, not all the players on the pitch were equal. So defenders could accidentally handball. Attackers couldn't accidentally handball. They got rid of that. So it's basically, they've said, okay, so intentional handball is always handball, but accidental handball is now definitely a thing. It just depends on your body shape. You look at, if you actually read the rules and you said to anybody, do you think this is handball? I think everyone agrees that's handball. It's just sometimes when it's going in slow motion, you look at it and you go, it's really unlucky, but Anywhere else on the pitch, the ones that are being given as penalties, they get given as free kicks. Uh, I, I, yeah, I do think that gets given as a free kick. And let's say that let's say that that hits his hand and it stops a counter attack that's happening. The referee will stop it and give a free kick. It's just it's it's giving the same rules that happen everywhere else the same uh, penalty in the penalty area. I I think that's that's fine. I. People are complaining about this rule. They're complaining about referees and VAR. Right, refs and VAR, ignore that. It VAR isn't ruining this. They're just enforcing the rule. They're actually doing a damn good job of it by catching it every time. The refs are doing fine as well. They're just enforcing the rule. I get not liking the rule, but then we take away the rule, or we take away VAR in instance, and then there's all those accidental handballs that people go, oh, actually, I'm not sure about that. There, this is a big grey area in football. There's going to be some error one way or the other. We cannot get this 100% because you can't you can't open up a player's brain and go, did you try and put your hand there? Because some of them will make will do it and they'll make it look like they're not trying to do it. There's no way of getting this 100% right. I actually think this is a better rule. I st- I hope you still have that mindset when Southampton get relegated on the last day. James Ward Prowse gets uh, you know accidentally catches it. From a header or something. I, I'll I, cry. I'll cry, but I'll, I'll stick with this opinion. You'll suck it up. All right. Um, I think uh, the two opinions oh. I've seen, um, sort of in the last few days, you have Graham Sunas, uh, on one of the games, uh, over the weekend and he was sort of, he was all for it. And it was like, oh, there's going to be more goals as a result of it. Uh, and it'll make the game more exciting. Uh, and then I don't know who it was that was commentating, um, 
well, as a pundit yesterday, but saying that goal, goals should be special. You know, goals, no, yeah. And that, um, you know, games are low scoring. It's not American football. It's not games like this. And goals seem to be given away a lot more cheaply because of this. And there's not as much of a worth to a goal when this is happening. When you're getting like three penalties in a game. I, I get it. I just don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to be at this level until the end of the season. I don't, I don't think it's going to be like, the amount of penalties we're seeing is going to be consistent over the course of the season. I think there's just been a few high-profile incidents. Like I said, I, I get what Harry's been saying with that. Because just, it, it, it was brought in in La Liga last year, and the, amount of pen, and the amount of penalties given away as a result of handball tripled in one year. Yeah, La Liga, I think, had 70-odd, or one of the European leagues had 70-odd penalties last year for handball compared to our 19. I'll tell you what I will say, though. Is, so here's the thing. I do agree, in principle... But an accidental handball, if it's stopping the player, if it's affecting the flight of the ball or anything like that, I do think that's a foul. But here's the thing I do think might be a nice happy medium. I saw this on the BBC Sport. Somebody texted this in. It was somebody saying, why don't they make a difference between accidental handball and intentional handball? Accidental handball, penalty edge of the box. If it's intentional, you'd, uh, not penalty edge of the box, uh, free kick edge of the box. Intentional, you do a penalty. And you know what? I actually think that's a really good little happy medium because you almost treat it like an indirect free kick then. They haven't meant it, but that still stopped the play and they've done it illegally. I think you almost kind of preserve the best of the rules there. That's something I'd be very happy to see brought in. If, if they, basically the problem I see at the moment is that the, the lawmakers have the pressure. And by the way, all the pundits on Sky Sports who have no idea who make the rules, IFAB make the rules. It's not the FA. It's not the Premier League. God, get off your own asses and do your research. But it's, it's either going to be like, oh, it, if it hits the hand, it has to be intentional. In which case, they'll be, we'll, we'll be like where we were before. Oh, that's surely a handball. Oh, no, he's not giving it. And it'll be a lot of stuff not getting given. Or it's like everything's handball. There is a happy medium there, but I'm, I'm happier if more handballs get given. Because at the end of the day, it's football. Ball's not supposed to touch your hand. And if you're interrupting the play by doing an illegal thing, you should get punished. I do think that. I do agree that penalties are harsh for the accidental thing. But if it's a choice between one or the other, it's, I would take that. But otherwise, I would be a fan of an indirect free kick rule being brought in. But, but then you've got players like Lindelof, who's <laughs> the one that stands out for me. He was running and I, 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 players are really going to have to adapt the way they play if this is the new rule. I know some foreign defender, as Pilaqueta is one I've noticed, and some of the Spurs players often defend with their hands behind the back. Is that Are we going to have to get the players playing in straight jackets next or something? One of the things that I think may get looked at in the, the coming years with this is that players are fitted with motion tracker sensors on, on certain parts of the bodies. So, uh, you know, it puts them onto the hand, the elbow. Um, there's a tracker in the, the ball itself. And so it can actually then immediately, you can be able to tell the direction of which where the hand is going at the point of which it hits the ball. A little bit like ball tracking in cricket. Yeah, I, I could see that being introduced at some point. See, the, the, my my approach to this whole thing, VAR, handball, all of it is really simple. Either we trust the referees to make the decision, in which case do away with all of it, or we don't trust the referees to get the decisions right, and we're uncomfortable with the level of error. Before VAR, everyone seems to forget, every single week, it was referees made a wrong call, referees made a wrong call. And everyone was saying, referees need technology. Now we've got technology and everyone's unhappy with it. Yes, it could have been implemented better. Yes, it can be done better. 
And it will eventually. I think that's the thing that people have to accept is that there's going to be a trial period, essentially, where things go a little bit wrong and we're feeling out and we, we eventually get it right. But if you say to people, oh, do you want to get rid of VAR? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? They're the same people one year later. They'll be going, oh, I can't believe we didn't get a penalty the other week. Oh, it's absolutely nailed on penalty. We, at the end of the day, the fans, the managers, the players, they don't trust the referees to make the right decisions. You see it in them constantly questioning the referees. You saw it in all of football before where every single time, at the end of every single match, it was, oh, we didn't get the referees' calls here. The, the referees were not trusted, so they needed the technology. That, for me, is the crux of it, is do we trust the referees? That's not going to change if we decide to get rid of it. So for me, we just have to find the best way of doing these things now. And it's going to take time to get those things. I think the handball rule, compared to what it was last year, is a massive step forward. It's not perfect yet, but it's a massive step forward from defensive players being treated differently to attacking players. And this, it's, I just think there's been such an overreaction from the pundits over this. I think it is a colossal overreaction, and they need to pull their heads out of their asses. I still think that the number of penalties, I, I, I think that, you know, some of the incidents we've seen and uh, Ward as well, um, I, I just, I, I, you're, you're ruining, I think you're ruining what defenders are naturally trying to do. You're giving such an advantage to attacking teams with it. Perhaps this idea of a free kick, if it's accidental, right? I don't know, there might, might be some legs in it, but I'm not sure. Um, but, but yeah, let us know what you guys think. I'm sure, I'm sure you've all had decisions either go for or against your team on this new handball rule. Um, what, well, what do you reckon we should do? Let us know. We're on Facebook or Twitter. Just search for Goals Allowed Podcast and you can find us there. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, it's been a pleasure to record it with, uh, Richard Hudson and Shane Lees. And we'll see you next time on the Goals Allowed Podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>